Psalm 85, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Salah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thy anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Will you not revive us again? For a few moments I want to talk about the God of revival. How many in this room would like to have a New Testament right out of the book of Acts revival at New Life Assembly of God? I'm not talking about pumped up flesh. I'm not talking about the working of the flesh, the manifestation of the flesh. I'm not talking about goosebumps running up and down the spine, nor am I talking about jumping around or shouting or an emotional excitement. I'm talking about a true blue revival where Jesus Christ the Lord is glorified, where the saints of God are edified, and where the devil himself is defeated. A revival where there is less of me and more of him. A revival where there is less of you and more of him. A revival where we see new power, new grace, new mercy, new compassion, and a deeper level of intimacy, of holiness uh, with our God. To have that, to participate in that, means that we must rely upon the Lord and not upon programs. To have that, to participate in that, to experience that kind of revival, means that we must rely upon God and not rely upon programs either. Revival involves the whole of God working in us and working among us and working through us as well. Yes, to have revival means the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit must be actively working in our midst and there in the midst of His people. Revival presents to us, I believe, God's heart. And friends, just as it's hard to explain the Trinity, it's hard to explain the mystery of a revival. With that being said, from reading, from observing, and also uh, from practical experiences, I believe there are three elements or three faces of revival. Let me illustrate by looking at the Trinity this morning. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Picture the Trinity as a three-legged stool. Now you could sit on one leg of a stool for a little while and make it, but it wouldn't last very long because it's hard to balance yourself on one leg. You could balance yourself for a few moments on a two-legged stool, uh, but that's not what it takes. It's better to have a stool with three legs on it in order to bring the balance that we need that will sustain us and carry us all the way. I remind you that if we emphasize God the Father and it's excusing and not have anything to do with God the Son or God the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have revival. If we put all the emphasis upon God the, Ho God the Holy Spirit and do not have any emphasis on God the Father and, and God the Son, we will not have revival. You see, God is as much God and is God as is the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is God as much as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is God just like God the Father and God the Son. And any time we erase one of them or take one of them out of the equation or say we want nothing to do with one of those of the Trinity, we cannot have revival. The three faces of revival, as I see it from God's Word, is simply uh, the fact that we come up understanding who God is, and we understand the grace of God and the wholeness of God 
and the power of God. And in order to have those three manifestations, it includes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is God the Son who shows us the element or the face of grace. It is God the Father who shows us the element or the face of holiness. And it is God the Holy Spirit that shows us the face or the element of the power that's to be associated uh, with the revival that God gives. Now friend, let this three-legged stool, uh, revival needs the working of all three working together in complete harmony in our midst and through us as well. Let's face it, we've tried it all. We've worshiped at the altar of special meetings uh, led by some of the greatest preachers perhaps uh, that we have ever known. We've nearly crusaded ourselves to death. We have sung until our voices are all but gone. We've invited people until we're tired of inviting people. Uh, we have uh, fallen asleep around the altars, uh, praying and praying and praying, even to announce another prayer meeting turns us off uh, because we're afraid there's going to be more road or bad miles uh, and we can't find anything uh, to get anything out of it at all. We've invited people to, we've wearied them to death. And we have meeting after meeting, week after week, month after month, year after year, and we've got the same results. We're still waiting upon and seeking the face of God uh, for revival. We have preached ourselves hoarse and we have studied ourselves dry. And yet, for the same token, uh, we think that if we, if we keep on doing what we've always done, keep on saying what we've always said, uh, keep on singing what we've always sung, keep on preaching what we've always preached, we're going to get the same old results, but yet we keep doing the same thing, hoping something will change. And friend, nothing's going to change until we offer God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to have His way within our midst every time we gather together and for them to have His way every time we're uh, having any type of relationship with God in our own private life. I believe, friends, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to do something radical, something revolutionary, or something today that's venturous, and that's that let all three elements, the face of grace, the face of wholeness, and the face of power be manifested through God the Son, God the Father, and through God the Holy Spirit. Let's look first of all at the face of grace or the element of grace. Grace is something none of, not a one of us deserve. Grace has been defined by a number of people a number of ways. Grace can be said, God gives to us that which we do not deserve. That's grace. Mercy is God does not give to us that which we do deserve. That's mercy. Grace is simply God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm grateful for the grace of God. Grace is not a greasy word. Grace is something that God gives, and even though we don't deserve it, God has given us His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. I deserve death, but by the grace of God, He's given me life. I've deserved hell, but by the grace of God, He has given me heaven. I deserve to be bound by the choices I've made in my life, but by the grace of God, He has set me free. I rejoice in the grace of God, and if you want to know the face of grace, look at Jesus Christ the Lord, for He who knew no sin, He bore the sins of the entire world in His body. That includes yours and that includes mine as well. I'm grateful for grace and I rejoice in that great old hymnal, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. We do not deserve the riches of Jesus Christ, but he said, I freely give you my grace. I give you my love. I give you
you my presence. I offer to you my forgiveness. I've given you everything that you need to live godly in this world. And I give you everything you need to make it to the world to come. And by my grace, I give you everything you need to enjoy the journey on your way from earth to heaven. I don't know about you, but I want the face of Jesus Christ in my life where the grace of God can be manifest to me day in and day out. A church that is in revival will experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But friend, great liberty in Jesus does not grant us license for excess. Those in pursuit of revival, we need something we can depend on. We need something we can rely on. You know what that is? The grace of God. God doesn't wake up in the middle of the night if he ever slumbers and sleeps and Charlie, I've changed my mind about you. I don't like you no more. He don't come up and say, hey, uh, uh, Sister Connie, uh, that sin you did a long time ago, I'm bringing it back and beat you over the head with it. Thank God for his grace today, his unmerited favor uh, within our life. Revival always emphasizes the grace of God. But for many people, they look at that grace as a license to sin and to spit in the face of God. And when, if and when we do that, that throws the monkey wrench into the cogs of the revival that God desires to give to his people. We cannot today allow the pendulum of grace uh, to swing to pervert the trinity of God in a revival. Surely we want God to move, but it's not an anything goes in our life that will cause that revival to happen. This would be a deadly blow. It would be a poison to the well of revival that God would desire to give. It would neglect the wholeness of God and it would take advantage of the grace of our God as well. So again, grace of God does not give us a license to do what we want to do. The grace of God does not give us a license to habitually sin. The grace of God does not give us a license to do those things that we think, oh, God will wink at it or God will forgive it. It's just the grace of God. Let me tell you, sin's a big deal. And if you don't think sin's a big deal, uh, look at the cross of Calvary and see the pain and the hell that Jesus Christ went through, not to save you and me in our sin, but thank God to forgive us of our sin and to get us out of the very sin that caused him to go to the cross to die to begin with. Sin's a big deal church but yet if we don't let the grace of God work in our life to lay down the sin to get rid of the weight that so easily beset us we will never experience revival so grace is not a license to do excess of what we think and think well God will just forgive it that's taking advantage of the grace of God I believe a church in revival will not only receive grace thank God I believe we will offer grace to people as well new converts are spiritual children Many of them are undisciplined. They're unlearned. And some of the spiritual babies, they're going to wet their pants. They're going to mess their britches once in a while, okay? Is that all right? They're going to be time. They're going to get hungry. They might eat the wrong thing. They're going to get thirsty. They might drink the wrong stuff. And they might have temper tantrums along the way. But what we often do in Pentecost is we want the new convert to be as mature in a week as we have got to be mature in 40 years. It does not happen that way in the natural realm. It will not happen that way in the spiritual realm. We've got to give grace to people. Give grace to young men. Give grace to young women. And let the Holy Spirit of God discipline them. You know why? If we put people under our litmus test and say, you've got to act like me and you've got to dress like me and you've got to read the Bible as much as I do 
and pray as much as I do, et cetera, et cetera. Only thing we've done is cause people to uh, be adapted to the way we are when they need to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, friend, he whose opinion is changed against his will remains of the same opinion still. Let the power of God get hold of the man's life. Let the presence of God get hold of an individual's life. Let the Lord transform us and bring us into that which we're supposed to be and not be a cheap carbon copy of somebody else. New Christians have to be given ample portions of the grace of God. And again, we often expect them to be like mature people. It does not happen that way overnight. Babies must grow up. Christians must grow up beyond the place. Can I still do this and be a Christian? Can I still do that and be a child of God? They must go beyond seeing how close to the world they can live and still claim to be a child of God. We must not impose upon the grace of God for anybody. And let me tell you something, friend. A Christian who entertains worldly desires, in fact, many times is committing spiritual adultery. If you profess to be a child of God and you're watching nasty movies and you're abusing alcohol and you're abusing drugs and you're getting a little fleeing out there with somebody that's not your spouse... If you're abusing the grace of God, you're committing adultery in the spiritual realm. Remember, Jesus is your groom. The church is the bride. And he wants a pure bride when he returns. A church experiencing the grace of God. We don't accept God's grace and then go live a sinful life. I hope he forgives me. If we accept Jesus Christ, we'll want to walk in a way that will be worthy of that calling. And then we'll offer that grace to people. You know, the Christian church is the only community that kills its wounded. There's not a one among us without sin. There's not a one among us that's perfect. And there are times we fall into stuff and we do things we're ashamed of. And we're afraid to come around the altar and pray for fear. What would somebody think? Let me tell you something. I've said it many times. We have so stigmatized the altars of a church that we think it's a place only bad people come. But an altar is a place where we come and meet the Lord where he can alter our lives and he can get the the sin and the weights and the things out of our lives that's unlike him because there are times he places his hand upon us and said, you know what, you've matured beyond this. It's called growing in sanctification. Sanctification, we're called apart from sin and called apart to the service of God. Our grandkids, none of them are in diapers anymore, thank God. Can you imagine a seven-year-old still in diapers? Something wrong with that. They grow up. And there are too many Christians still making messes today. Come on. When we ought to accept the grace of God that we might be set free from those things. And I believe to have revival, the Holy Spirit needs to place his hand up on us individually. And say, this is what I want you to do in my life i got to hurry. Let's talk about the face of holiness. Again, what is holiness, Pastor? Revival produces more holiness, which is seen in the face of God the Father. The Bible says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, true biblical holiness is often misunderstood uh, because humans picture it differently. Some look at holiness as the way we dress. Some look at it as a standard. Some look at it as conduct. And we often, too, one person wholeness might be this, that, or the other. To some, it's, it's often summed up in the things that we don't do. 
Wholeness is I can't do this and I can't do that. That's what we think wholeness is. When I first got saved, what do you believe? I told him everything we couldn't do. Yeah. Anybody else like that? Yeah. I'm holy. I don't mix swim. I don't go to the moving picture show. I don't go to that carnival. It's carnal, you understand. Carnival, it's out there. It's biblical. I don't go to Disney World. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's what we think wholeness really is. But wholeness is the process of God's grace by which a sinner is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. Let me chew that up and spit it out again. Wholeness is the process of God's grace by which a sinner is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. That's accomplished by the Word of God. That's accomplished by the Spirit of the living God. And it results in purification from guilt and deliverance from the power of sin itself. As good as it is, music is great. As good as it is, the preaching of God's Word is great. Being slain in the Spirit is great, but that's not enough. I want the wholeness of God to work in my life. Be ye holy, for I am holy. If, there's an incre- if there is no increase in wholeness in our life, if there is no desire to read the Word of God, if there is no desire to attend church, if there is no desire uh, to, to, to be able to read God's Word, it's not a full-fledged revival. God has forgiven us and God has freed us. That's great. That's powerful. It's worthy of mentioning. But it's a manifestation of God's grace. We must understand the face of the Father looks upon us and today he thunders out the words from the realm of glory. Church, be ye holy. Now we don't talk a lot about wholeness in this unholy world because we're confused what it is. In the mountains where I come from, and it happens everywhere, but you, you see a lot of these women up there, they have these big high bob jobs on their hair. They don't wear any makeup, and some of them probably should go to the paint and body shop, the truth be known. They don't wear any slipstick, or lipstick, I call it slipstick, it slips right off. No fingernail polish. Their dresses are long, their sleeves are long, and many have tongues to match it. As my pastor used to say, they could sit in the living room and lick the pots in the kitchen. But they dressed the part of wholeness. And herein lies the problem in Christianity today, church. And let me just be very candid. We often have the veneer for other people to look at us. And they think we are the epitome of wholeness. But Jesus looked upon the self-righteous Pharisees. And outwardly you're white well sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And church, I want to tell us, you and me, I want to speak to all of us this morning. If we will get to the face of the Father and let Him speak to our own hearts and let Him show you and let Him show me where you and I may be missing the mark. It's not for me to tell you what's going on. It's not for you to tell me. But if we can get in the face of the Father and let Him reveal to us through this book, this is how I want you to walk in holiness. This is what I want of you. And yet what we think, everybody better walk just the way I do. Bless God or you're not holy. If we don't walk just the way he does, forget all of that. You're not my judge and I'm not yours. I'm not going to give an account to you. And you're not giving one to me. But I am going to give an account to this God that I know. And as closer as I get to him, the more he may require of me. And the closer you get, the more he may require of you. But I have yet to give anything up that he's not giving me something 100% better. Every time I've laid one thing down, something better has always come. God is a God of 
of holiness. And I believe the God who will give us the face of grace and the God who allow the grace and the power of God to bring wholeness in our life will bring a revival that will turn the world right side up again for the glory of God. We need to see the face of God. And church, hear me again. Too many Christians go to that hidden resource, that hidden place in their heart and their mind of entertaining things that displease the heart of God. But yet if we can let the Holy Spirit reveal and put it under the blood and say, Lord, let me walk in holiness with you. It'll be amazing what the Lord will do. People give up their trashy movies for wholesome entertainment. People have given up foul language. They've given up provocative clothing. They've given up illegal drugs. They've given up fornication, adultery. A host of other vices that are holding them back. The revived are coming out of the secret closet of, coming out of the secret closet of prayer today as examples of God's grace and of examples of picking up the cross and living a holy life. One man told his pastor he didn't want to smell like a rat anymore. That's revival. That's coming clean. That's God. That's someone who's turning to the Father. And that, my friends, produces wholeness. We have received grace from Jesus. We're pardoned. The first, the first face or the first element of revival is grace, the face of Jesus. But the Father says, embrace full revival. Be holy. Do you dare turn your gaze upon him who sits upon the throne and seek the face of God? Yes. Seek my face. When we seek the face of God too often, we want God's ear to hear our burden. We want God's mouth to tell us what to do. We want God's hand to be outstretched to heal. We want God's feet to run to us. We want God's mouth to speak to us. But he said, seek my face. And seeking the face of God, you can't help but see the eyes of Jesus. Amen. The eyes of the Father. And what is it? Holiness. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train filled the temple. And he said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips, an unworthy man. Cleanse me. And a coal was taken off the altar, a hot coal placed to his lips. I remind you, when the Spirit of God touches us, it's going to hurt the flesh. Think about that. You think a hot coal on the lip didn't hurt? I think it did. And yet we are to be living sacrifices, and we're the only sacrifice that can continually crawl off the altar when the heat gets hot. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When my sacrifice becomes acceptable to God, God's will will become acceptable to me. And the more that I get into the holiness of God, he'll say, you know what? Others may be able to do that, but not you. Not that I'm better, or not that you'd be better. But God just places such a jealous love upon us that we will not want to do anything that will break the heart of our God. Church, are you with me? Enter in to the face of Jesus to accept his grace, for his grace will help us go into the Holy of Holies to pray that we might see and have the wholeness of God upon us. I could say a lot there, but let me hurry. If we're not careful, we can turn it into legalism, and we don't need legalism. 
There have been entire denominations that were set apart for the express purpose of wanting to have revival. And today some of those same denominations, including the Assemblies of God, were camping out around the river of holiness, but were erecting barriers of sanctification. Rules that have nothing to do, they're powerless, they're antiquated, they're altars that have been built and maintained in honor of dead forefathers, whose original intent was not a rigid regulation, but was intended to have a rigorous revival. And what we do many times is we, we, we begin to promote more legalism than we do the holiness of our God. I'm not your Holy Spirit and you are not my Holy Spirit. Let God take care of me and I'll let God take care of you. We cannot legislate morality. And I remind you, there's modesty in every generation. That includes men and that includes women as well. And yet if we're not careful, we become police officers saying you can't do this, you can't do that. Friend, I'm going to tell you, let's use wisdom in living our life and let the Holy Spirit have his way. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about uh, liberty versus legalism. Jesus brings grace. The Father brings the wholeness. And thirdly, I want to talk about the element of the face of power. Real revival will finally take a serious look into the face of power, which is the result of the working of the Holy Spirit. A vivid, real, biblical revival will have the Word of God being confirmed as it's preached. The gifts of the Spirit will become operative. In the world, the Word of God will be confirmed with signs following. Among some churches, people experience the grace of God but they don't experience the wholeness of God or the power of God. In some churches, they may experience the wholeness of God, but not the grace of God or the power of God. It becomes, uh, becomes legalistic. In some churches, all they want is the power of God. Forget about the grace thing. Uh, forget about wholeness, man. We just want power. People seek power. May I remind you again, church, that one of the ways that Satan would deceive in this last day is through lying signs and wonders. And he will do everything he can to deceive people with power. There's a lot of people that God can work through that he cannot work in. And you do not put your stamp of approval on people just because God works through them. We need to know those that labor among us. That's what scripture says. And that being said, I don't want to be a church that just has God's grace. I want to be a church that has the grace of God upon us, but the holiness of God working through us, but the power of God manifesting himself in this last day. Why can we not have all three legs to this stool? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we put all three legs together, if we embrace the biblical mandate of what God wants, in this last day I believe he will thunder from heaven. These signs will follow them that believe in me. The power of God is very important. As within a revival, be it recorded in history or in the Bible, the pendulum must not be allowed to swing too far in any one direction. We can emphasize power over wholeness. We can emphasize power uh, over grace. And all the thing you've got is a church of, of, of some type of manifestation. It becomes more sensationalism. If we bypass the building the church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if we bypass that, we have nothing. We have nothing. I don't care how many signs and miracles you see. I question where do they come from. 
We've got to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I have seen more people than you want to mention this morning that have followed personalities when they were living in sin, but they followed personalities simply because of who they were. Friend, I want to tell you, I don't follow personalities. I want to follow the Lord of the book. He will lead us into truth. He will lead us into wholeness. He'll lead us into grace. And he will allow the power of God to be manifest through us if we do it his way. On the other hand, without the Holy Spirit confirming the word with signs and wonders and miracles, once again, the power leg of the stool of revival will be missing. The God of grace, the God of holiness, the God of power, he wants to see his word confirmed to bring glory to the Godhead. Think about that. To bring glory to the Godhead. When grace is manifested, Jesus is glorified. When we live a life of wholeness, God the Father is glorified. When the power of God is moving, God the Holy Spirit is glorified. And in order for that to transform and transform place in our world today, we have got to create the atmosphere for the triune God to work. Yes. Been out of the town for two weeks. A couple weeks ago, Brother Sammy called me up and said, I got some bad news. Said a windstorm came through here last night. The only place it must have come is right through here because nobody else on Lakeland got it. Your trailer blew off the hitch. I said, what? Your trailer blew off the hitch. Got a little 30-some foot trailer down there. and Sure enough, he sent me pictures. The wind had blown it off course. About a foot and a half maybe. How did that happen? The conditions in the atmosphere had to be just right for that windstorm to come through. It's amazing, it didn't happen on the south end of town. It didn't happen on the west side of town. It didn't happen for the north town. It just apparently came right down through here. Knocked a tree over on the fence over here on the property. Isn't it amazing when the wind blows, God's the one that says, where do the blow? You see, it was a small trailer. Wasn't big, wasn't fancy. But the wind blew it. We may not be a big church. We may not be fancy. But if we'll get the atmosphere for God just right, the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow upon us and blow through us and do great exploits. Amen. Are you with me? You see, I don't have to get the weather, spiritual weather forecast right for all of Florida. Come on. I just, we just got to get the spiritual forecast right for New Life Assembly of God. Amen. And if you and I will do our part... I'm here to tell you that God up on heaven's throne today is looking for the to blow up on us. And I believe great and mighty things will happen. I could say a lot this morning. I'd come to a close. One of the problems we have with revival is we want to put it in a box and say, God, you do it like this. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and before Peter and John appeared Elijah and Moses. What does Peter say? Let's build three tabernacles so we can house this glory. And that's what we want to do, man. We want to house it. But God is always moving. You're not going to confine him to a wall. And I have been praying, God, give us wisdom to know how to pastor the revival that you want to give to New Life Assembly. I don't want it as good as Brownsville was. I'm not looking for that. 
As good as Topeka was, I'm not looking for that. As good as Azusa Street, I'm not looking. I want to know what does God want for this church for a time like right now. And that's why we need the wisdom of God to know what he wants to do, that we can do it for the glory of God. I think sometimes revival will come to us in ways we never dreamt. I didn't do homework on this because it just came to my mind first service. But somewhere up in Kentucky, there was a little town that had gone to the had gone to pot. I mean, the, the government had gotten bed with all the, 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 the drugs and alcohol and all the smut and all that stuff. And I mean, it was just, it was awful. That little town was awful. Crime was increasing. Everything was just going down the porcelain potty. I mean, it was awful. But a lot of Christians from all denominations got together. And they sought the face of God. And as they sought the face of God, God heard the prayer of all those Christians. And you know what? They cleaned house. They've got Christians in office. Uh, their schools have been taken back over by good people. Uh, there's no more riffraff running around in the streets. Crime has gone down. New families are moving in. It's Mayberry on steroids up there. You know why? Because God heard the prayers of his people. To me, that's revival. Amen. So it may not come the way we think. I just pray God bring it on and let us be ready for it however you want to manifest it in this hour in which we are living. If you think about the Great Awakening over in England, bars went out and churches were formed. When you think about what happened in Paul to, in the church of Ephesus, uh, the temple of Diana went out of business uh, because the people that loved Diana, worshiping those false goddesses, uh, the, the people could no longer even have, went out of the jobs uh, because there was no more, t- no more uh, little uh, trinkets for them to make for the goddess of Diana. Oh, and it'd be great to see some of these places around town. I ain't seen anybody go to business, but for the right reason. Yeah. For the right reason. God, however you want to give revival, let's experience the face of grace. Let's experience the face of wholeness. Let's experience the face of power. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you.